Welcome to another episode of Mental Health Mondays. It is the week of April 3rd. Woo! April. Can't believe it. We're here. Spring has sprung. Feels good. You can feel it in the air. Baseball season's back. I'm feeling great. In a great mood today. Um, congratulations on making it another week. You're here. It's spring. The winter's over. Um, I think it's supposed to rain like one or two more times in LA this this uh, next week, and then um, probably no rain for another, you know, six to eight months. So we'll be in the drought again. No, it's uh, <clears throat> it feels good. I don't know much about seasonal depression, but I know it is a real thing, and I know uh, a lot of people from my hometown in Rochester, New York. Uh, suffer from that because it's just gray for eight months of the year. And I know that sunlight um, is really important. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. I don't know why I even broached the subject of something scientific. But I'll, all I know is it's been sunnier. I know it sounds dumb living in LA. If you don't live here, you're probably like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? But, um, you know, it's been so shitty and so rainy for so long. And usually I'm like, I love the rain, you know sad boy vibes, all that. And sometimes it is nice. It just feels more relaxed, I feel like. I feel like you can get away with more in the rain. Um, when it's cloudy out, it's like, yeah, no one has time for your shit, so you can do whatever you want. No, um, but it does feel good that it's been nicer and sunny. Also, a big part of it is baseball season is back. If you know me at all, diehard Yankees fan. Duh. Um, so it feels good to watch baseball again. They're off to a pretty good start. It's only three games, but, you know, it always feels good in the, the beginning of the year. And I feel like that's, like, symbolic for any sort of fresh start. It always feels good. Um, a new beginning. It feels like the possibilities are endless. The Yankees have a new rookie, and he's, like, a very highly touted prospect. He's, you know, from the tri-state area, grew up a diehard Yankees fan, specifically wanted to you know, he his, his favorite player growing up was Derek Jeter, was the shortstop for the New York Yankees. He grew up playing shortstop. All he ever wanted in his life was to be the shortstop for the New York Yankees. And on opening day, he was the shortstop for the New York Yankees. And it made me think about why fan bases always get around rookies. Like, they always root for rookies. It's always exciting when a rookie comes in and does good. Or even before they have a chance to do good, he got such a... Uh, a loud roar from the crowd when they introduced him for the first time and I think it's part of that fresh start thing that the endless you know the the possibilities are endless the potential is there and everyone wants something to hold on to wants something to feel good about and a rookie is that all in one little package this young player we know not much about that we've only heard good things we're expecting great things and it just kind of I don't know. It always like kind of captivates a fan base when you have a, a young rookie coming up because you're like, oh, this could be the hope, the guy. This could be the one that takes us to that, you know, the next level. And I feel like in life, there's always little things like that. Spring is one of them. It's like, oh, hope springs eternal, right? Um, I don't know what that phrase means, but the word springs in it, so I figured I'd say it. Um, but no, when when spring comes around, kind of it's that feeling for me always like, you know, hear the birds chirping in the morning and it's a little lighter a little earlier because of daylight savings and all that stuff so it's just excited exciting i'm excited but also if you watch this you've probably heard the news but finally officially i am playing a show Woo! thank god um 
on April 11th, I'm playing the Breaking Sounds. Break, uh, let me restart that. I can't fuck it up already. On April 11th, I'm playing the Breaking Sounds LA Showcase at Madame Siam. It's right off Hollywood Boulevard. I'm super excited. Super excited. I've been manifesting this. And I'm not not in a cheesy manifestation way. But genuinely, I've been like, I have to play a live show. I have to play a live show. I have to play a live show. And um, I just submitted to them on a whim. And I was lucky enough to get approved. And, you know, here we are. I'm excited. About a week and a half away. Um, I've been in this. I had the studio is always kind of messy. Right now, it's a fucking wreck. Because I had to rearrange it to kind of be a rehearsal space. And this is the first time that I've ever performed as a solo act and also the first time that I've performed as a multi-instrumentalist with the saxophone, the guitar, the keys, singing, rapping. And um, I'm just so excited. I'm just so excited. It's kind of, I feel like it's kind of lit the fire in me once again. Because when you're, when you're an independent artist and um, you know you grind away every day, and there's just so many little things you have to do to like just keep up, let alone put yourself ahead of other people. Um, it gets to be defeating. I know I've talked about that on this podcast a million times, but it definitely wears on you. And it's not anything I'm not used to. I've been pursuing this in one form or another for over a decade now. Uh, but just getting a small win and knowing like I'm going to be able to share a night with, you know, some of my supporters, fans, friends, family, and also, you know, people that have never had the chance to hear of me or hear my music. I'm just so excited and so grateful for the opportunity. And I just know it's going to be first of many, um, kind of get the ball rolling here. And my birthday is next Friday. So, you know, it's not, new, you know, New Year's, but in this new year of my life, you know, shortly after I turn 29, bleh, disgusting, um, you know, it's just a good way to get that new year started, and I'm just so excited. That's why I started in such a rip roaring fashion. Um, this this episode, I just I'm really excited, dude. I uh, it's just fun. It's it also opens up a whole new lane of creativity. Putting this set together, and like, all right, yeah, I have to play some of my songs, but like, oh yeah, I could also just do whatever the hell I want. So I have a little couple tricks up my sleeve. And um, I hope that, you know, if I'll put the ticket link in this, uh, you know, in the description of this video and all that. But um, if you have the chance to come out April 11th, I'd love to have you there. I think it'll be fun. It's a Tuesday night. I know it's tough. It's a work night, school night. I think it's $18 pre-sale and like 20, over 20, 21, 25 at the door. And it's also, it's an over 21 show because um, it is at like a little bar lounge club-y thing called Madam Siam. Um love to have you join us and um just come and enjoy some live music we're back you know we're back all that covid shit it's uh it's good to be back it's good it's it's gonna feel great to be on stage again and that rush that nervous energy that you like convert into this kinetic energy that like pushes you forward during a performance and you know it's never gonna be perfect but just like I'm just excited. I know last week I talked about improvisation and there will be definitely some of that in the show. But being open to, okay, this is the plan. This is the set that I've laid out. This is what I'm going to do. And then knowing that it's not going to go exactly 100% to my plan and having to think on my toes. Like I haven't been in that environment in a minute 
And but I, it's something that I love and that I embrace. So I'm just so excited to have the opportunity to do it again. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be sick. So thank you guys for supporting me first of all. And um, you know, like I said, first of many. And I couldn't do it without a few people in particular. But I mean, I'm, this is my Grammy speech. It's not that serious, but it is exciting. And um, I'm just I can't wait. So please come out to that show April 11th right off Hollywood Boulevard, Madam Siam, Breaking Sounds Showcase. Let's go. Um, and, it, you know, <clears throat> every week I say the same things about how I know that my mental health is best when I'm busy, when I'm working towards my goals, when I'm doing the things that I know I need to be doing. And it ebbs and flows. There are times where I'm less productive, more productive. And I know I have to have grace with myself when I'm a little less productive. But I also know that... Um, Uh, just that I feel so much better when things are actually happening. And that's obvious in, in, in any walk of life, regardless of what you're pursuing. Obviously, when uh, when it seems slow, when it feels slow, those are the times that your brain has time to go to those maybe darker, not so good places. And I think sometimes that's necessary to, to grow. Uh, you can only really grow from the dirt. You can only grow from the mud. Um, it's, it's not as easy when everything's going well to reflect on the areas you need to improve both with, or, you know, with your mental health and also just like your habits. When everything seems like it's going well, it's a lot more difficult to reflect on what needs to change because it's like, well, I'm doing great. I don't got to change anything, but obviously that's never true. Um, so I know that that's part of the reason why I've been so feeling so good mentally because I've known about this for like a week or two now. But I'll fucking take it. You know what I mean? I mean, a couple episodes ago, I was talking about how it was one of the longest, you know, spats of depression that I've had in a long time. And now I can say that it, this is one of the longest spells of feeling great that I've had in a long time. And I'm really grateful for that. And um, But I also know that it, it can't be like placebo effect. You know what I mean? Like not necessarily placebo effect, but it can't be artificial. Like I have to enjoy it truly and for the reason, just the sake of enjoying it because I'm doing what I love. It's another opportunity to do what I love. It's another, you know, step in the path forward to the places I want to go in my life. But what I'm saying is just because I'm busy with things that I want to be doing does not mean that like, and, I, and you know what I mean? The, all that negative shit is still in me somewhere and it all needs to be worked out still. So I'm not ignorant to the fact that, oh yeah, everything feels great and seems great right now. But, you know, who knows a, a little bit down the line, there might be another time where there's a hit a lull, both in my career and then mentally. And, you know, I just can't let it spiral the way I felt like it did uh, pretty recently. But again, Right now, I'm just very grateful for everything I have in my life. And also, sometimes it takes a win to remind you of how grateful you are. Sometimes when it doesn't seem like, or when, sometimes when it seems like things aren't going your way, it makes it a lot more difficult uh, to find gratitude in the everyday things. But then a small win can flip that completely on its head. And it opens your eyes, it opens your mind, it opens your heart to everything you have going for you in your life. And it's like, huh, you know, it never really was as bad as I thought it was when I was depressed, when I was uh, feel, felt like I was stuck or like I, I wasn't going anywhere. And I think the lesson there 
is that, okay, now I can look at that period of depression from the outside feeling pretty good right now. Things are going well for me. Things are going well for my family, my friends. Now I have the opportunity to look back and say, all right, next time we hit one of those lulls, remember this feeling. Remember that it's not all bad, that there's a lot more good than bad, that you can pull yourself up out of that dark, shitty feeling that you were in um, and, and keep it moving and keep it pushing forward. So I have to remind myself of that next time, how great I feel right now. Um, or the next time, you know, it's baseball season, the first losing streak the Yankees go on, I got to remember it's all good. It's okay. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not that crazy as a fan, I feel. But also I am because I just randomly brought that up. It had nothing to do with what I was talking about. It was actually, you know, getting to some decent points and immediately baseball came back to the front of my mind. I just got done watching the game. Boy, it's nice. You know, not every it's not for everyone. I understand it's slow. There's also 162 games in a season. That's insane. I totally get why some people aren't into it. Um, but it's always been it's one of those things that's like my mind goes a billion miles a minute at all times of every day, right up until the point I'm a, right about to what to, to <laughs> right up until the point where I'm about to fall asleep. My mind is going a million miles an hour. And I have found such a respite in baseball. Like my fandom started growing up with my father and my grandfather, diehard Yankee fans from the New York area. There's no, I had no option. I had no say in the matter. And that was fine because I took an immediate liking to it. Um, and so that's where it all started. But now as I've gotten older, I've realized that like everyone needs something to just unplug their brain for a moment and just relax. Now, doing it 162 days of the year, maybe not so healthy, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe you don't have the opportunity. But for example, today was a Sunday. And as much as I've been pushing myself to get this set together for the show, and I knew I had to shoot the podcast, I gave myself the opportunity this morning to just sit, eat some breakfast, have my cup of coffee, and sit and watch a beautiful baseball game on a beautiful spring day. And I had the the I had the conscious thought during the game of like, wow, this is the first time in a while where I'm not thinking about anything other than something real trivial and silly and, and something that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, but right now I'm taking that me time that I need. I needed a moment for myself. Um, and of course I was with Jay and she loves watching baseball too. So that's great. Thank God. Um, but I just had that opportunity to sit and relax for a couple hours and truly relax, not like sit and, you know, legs going crazy. I always have had restless leg syndrome, but, you know, not sit and pretend I'm relaxing and pretend, okay, I'm taking my time for myself and in the back of my head, th still thinking about all the things I need to do, blah, 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 blah. Um, but actually it was like, a, it was like a meditative moment. And I know that that's something that I need to explore more is like legitimate, actual meditation. Um, but I will say that Again, how you get there doesn't matter so much in my head. As long as it's working for you and you can sh like gain something from it, that was meditation for me today. Let's just sit and do something I enjoy, like watching a baseball game. And again, I know it's not for everyone, but to me, that's the beauty of baseball. There's so many exciting, intense, fun moments, but it's also 
got like a certain flow to it if you really understand and love the game that it's just relaxing so i was i don't know i'm just it helped my mood even that much more because my mood has been great because i am busy because i have something to do but then taking that break and just breathing for a couple hours helped me even that much more so i highly recommend finding something like that for you i know rick rubin spoke about the fact that he watches now rick rubin is one of the great music producers of all time. He's produced everyone you can think of. He's got a new book out, actually, that I'm really, really interested in reading just about the act of creation and the act of creativity and the practice of it. Um, and, and, you know, obviously he's looking at it from the perspective of a music producer, but it applies to any creative act. I think that's what the book is called, The Creative Act. Um, but he's a very trippy dude, you know, long white hair, long white beard. He looks like a mythical character. He looks like someone who would act like he does because he's very chill and zen and the way he describes things and speaks about things, it's always connected with me and I really fuck with him. Um, but even he has, he loves pro wrestling and that's something that I've never really been into. So I can identify because I'm into something that not everyone, especially from this generation is into in baseball. But he said he watches wrestling every night before he goes to sleep and it brings him so much joy and it's the only time he feels like he can shut his brain off. And so I really identify with him in that way because I have a very hard time shutting my brain down and just decompressing and slowing it all down. Um, and baseball is that thing for me. So I'm grateful the season started again and I highly recommend, you know, I think maybe you know that th that thing for you that allows you to just take a deep breath um, and maybe just relax for the first time. You know, I, I don't know for, you know, it just, for, for me, it's difficult. Um, and I embrace that. I don't, I don't, I love the way I think, you know, like I, though I struggle so much with so many like things that to most people would probably be like, dude, why are you worried about that? I don't want to think differently. Like, I don't want to sacrifice that completely and be, like, out of it. Like, part of me, like, I'm torn. Sometimes I think I just want to move to an ashram in, in some foreign country and, you know, sit under a tree all day and just think and drink tea and, like, do yoga. But then part of me is like, that's just not me. And maybe injecting some of that into my life could help balance me out a bit. But I embrace how neurotic, how neurotic I can be and how crazy my brain can be and how all over the place my brain is because I know that that spurs on my creativity. Um, so even though it drives me insane at times, you know, this podcast is my kind of spur of consciousness just rambling. That's going on in my head all day, all the time. That can get loud. That can get irritating. That can get to be, to feel too much. But at the same time, I wouldn't change my thought process for anything because I also know that I love the way I think. I love the way I perceive the world. Um, but I don't know. There are times where I'm just like, I wish I could just be full-blown hippie and just give it all up and live in a hut somewhere on an island and just breathe. And that's the only thing I do. But again, I, I wouldn't give it up for anything, even though it drives me crazy. I think the problem is it does drive me crazy. And so I need to either fully lean in and lean in and accept this is the way I am or inject some of that, 
you know, the meditation, breathing exercises, whatever into my life so that I have that respite from time to time to be like, okay, your mind's always going a million miles a minute. You're trying to keep yourself as busy as possible because you love work. You love to create. You love the things that you do in your life, but you do need to decompress. And so, again, I don't think it matters necessarily how you get there, but today was another reminder of something that I have in my life that I can go to, luckily, very often, half of the year, 162 days, just about half the year, and plus a little more because the Yankees always make the playoffs. Um, but that's not Zen. That's that's not enjoyable at all. That's pure stress. Um, but I do, I'm, I'm grateful that I have that thing that I can go to to be like, all right, chill out. Um, and I don't think that it... I mean, I've always known that I love baseball and that maybe that's part of the reason, but I don't think I ever consciously thought of it that way until this morning. So it was a nice realization I came to. Um, and also, I think, too, maybe part of the reason why I've never felt necessarily that specific feeling about what baseball means to me um, is because when I'm not busy or when I'm not maybe doing the things that I feel I need to be doing, or when I'm not maybe pushing myself just up to that brink of like, I can't do anymore, when I'm not doing that, and then I just chill and watch baseball, I do have that sense of guilt of like, who? how do I deserve to just sit and relax? Again, it's all balance. Not having any grace with yourself and not letting yourself relax, even though you haven't been putting in the work is not good, but also just giving it all up and not doing anything you need to do isn't good either. So again, I wouldn't replace the way I think for anything, but it all kind of ebbs and flows. There's got to be a balance. And that's always what I'm working towards is some sense of a balance, some feeling of balance. Um, and I don't know that anyone ever, you know, literally unless you're a guru or, a, you know, a fully enlightened person. I don't think anyone ever fully gets there. But I, the first step is admitting you have a problem, right? The, the AA uh, edict, 12-step program, any 12-step program. First step is admitting you're powerless over this thing and that you have a problem. And I know that I am powerless at times over the way my mind works. And I've come to that understanding. And to me, just knowing that and really accepting it over the past Honestly, like a couple years, you ever feel like you've never been conscious until this moment? Because I do sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I've never had a thought until right now. And all of this shit that I think and feel and know, know, uh, is just planted in my head. And right now is the first, my first breath. I don't know. I know that sounds like a, a little wonky, but like sometimes I really feel like I have not the greatest memory. But I, yet I still remember everything that I've done or that I've seen or, you know, that has shaped me to be how I am now. But I still feel like every day I am learning so much about myself and about the world that like I almost feel like I don't recognize myself from three days ago, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, two years ago. Um, and it's somewhat refreshing and somewhat of a nice feeling, but also it can be like confusing because... As much as I am a very self-conscious person, I'm a very self-critical person, I do view myself highly at the end of the day. In the back of my head, I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. I'm very self-aware. But there are times when I'm like, 
who even was I a month ago? Because I am not anything like, you know, obviously the framework of who I am has not changed all that much. But there are times where I really, when I sit with my thoughts, think I am so much smarter today than I was literally yesterday. Um, And it's kind of nice. I kind of feel like in that way, it makes me strive to grow like constantly. And even without consciously thinking about it, I am always growing into a better, more evolved version of myself. And I don't think that ever stops. And I don't think I ever want it to stop. I want to continue to get better in every aspect of my life. And I like embrace the the challenge of doing that. Um, see, this is the stream of consciousness thing that just came out and over. I apologize. If it's hard to follow this podcast sometimes, I'm sure it is. Um, also, I apologize because I realized the last couple episodes, the microphone's like bent at- <laughs> right in my face it's just a habit i suppose to like right be right on it and you know i forget that i can be back here and you can hear me just fine um yeah man so to summarize that whole first 20 some minutes of nonsense really excited about the show feeling great about life the sun is shining the birds are chirping the air smells a bit fresher food tastes a little better right now but I know that that's a me thing. I know that that's not how everyone's feeling right now. I know there's, I ju- again, I just talked about this. The world seems like it's going crazy and berserk. And in a lot of ways it is. I don't know the answers. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know how to change it. Um, so I don't want to think, pretend like I'm ignorant to that fact. In my personal life, I feel really good about things right now. But, you know, obviously last week, um, there's another school shooting in Nashville. And, you know, I've done the deep dive into it as best as I can. Um, It just... My first emotion is just obvious. I think all of us, every time we hear it, it's just sad. It's so sad to think about those parents and that community and those families and how much this has destroyed them. Um, and I... What I struggle with the most when thinking about that kind of stuff every time it happens, which is far too often, is people on both sides of the political aisle say it's, you know, this side says it's this is the reason, this side says that's the reason, and it seems like none of them can come to the understanding that it's both. I am pretty much right down the middle politically. Um... And I don't want to pretend like I know enough about anything to ever give any sort of political opinion. But being that this is a mental health podcast, I have to at least express that I don't think that taking guns away is the answer. I don't think that only improving our mental health system is the answer. The answer is obviously, to me, very obviously somewhere in the middle. I kind of feel that it's a little too late for the gun conversation. There are millions of weapons in this country. Good luck getting rid of them. I don't know the... I think that we expect these people in in charge 
to come to an answer pretty easily on a very complex subject. And, you know, not to put on a tinfoil hat, I, again, I don't know enough about it to speak explicitly and like, this is a fact, this is exactly how I feel. I'm just kind of talking it through with you because I don't know exactly how I feel and I don't know the answer and clearly no one seems to know the answer. But from what I've gathered, it seems like it's possible that with a hot button issue like school shootings, mass shootings, domestic terrorism, rather than come to some sort of change, rather than come to, so, to some sort of resolution, both sides know that they can use it as a bargaining chip to get more votes during election season. Again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not trying to go down some rabbit hole of or offend anyone or anything like that. I think that's a given. But, you know, I just want to say that for anyone listening that might feel some, you know, we all, I, every, I think everyone is entitled to have a strong opinion about such a terrible, sensitive, violent, awful thing. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that the reason why we haven't come to some sort of radical change when clearly something needs to change? Is it because neither side really wants one thing or the other to happen? I'm not, I'm not claiming that politicians are like, good, this is great. Good, another one. We can use it to, you know, get votes from the people who feel, you know, aligned with our views and think this is the problem. We can say this is what we're going to do, and then more votes will come our way. I'm not saying that, but also it seems like with with this subject, with abortion, with any sort of thing that both the left and right are diametrically opposed to, it, it feels like it only barely changes one way or the other every election cycle and it has remained an issue since like the 70s the 80s the night like it's the same issue over and over and over again and is it because we really can't figure out the right answer or is it because it's beneficial to the people who are in charge that we don't figure out the right answer and that this stays a, a, an issue that divides people so that this side will remain in lockstep with you know, the politicians that align with that viewpoint and vice versa. Again, I don't know the answer. But my brain sometimes does trickle down that path and think, we're never going to be able to fucking change this problem. Now, the other part of it that, you know, again, that I go back and forth between what I just explained and this, I think it's not as easy as maybe people who aren't in a position of power, like most people you talk to, you know, your, fan, your friends, your family who might have strong views one way or the other. I think we don't, re like, this is not that easy. As I said, taking weapons off the streets, all that, like, in theory, that sounds great. If you could snap your fingers right now and no crazy people had, and I, I, I hate to use that word because, again, this is a mental health podcast, and but I'll get to that in a, in a moment. No people with severe mental health issues had weaponry. If you could snap your fingers... And just, poof, that's gone. Yeah, that would be incredible if they didn't have access to them. Yes, of course. But it seems like this this country's obsession with guns has gone too long for that to be a serviceable solution. And it also now, you know, if you start taking things away, I don't know. It, it just, it's the obvious tropes you hear all the time. Like the bad people aren't going to give you their shit. And honestly, no one who is a gun owner is going to willingly be like, yeah, you know what? You can have it back. And I understand 
it is it is the second amendment regardless of how you fall on the argument i know that things have changed i know the vernacular was quite different and 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 you know the right to bear arms you know to basically to defend yourself from the government yeah there's no way that you know the citizenship of this country would have the ability to defend itself against the modern united states military of course i understand that but i'm saying i understand um whether i agree with it or not and i don't know if i agree with it or not i understand people on that side feeling hey i have the right to have this i want to be able to defend my property my family all that i i get it i get why they feel that way again whether i agree with it or not whether you agree with it or not we have to be able to come to sort to some sort of middle ground and be like i see where you're seeing that point from i might not agree but i see what you're looking at it from I don't know if taking all of that away is going to fix the problem. I know for a fact, this is how I've always felt about this for as long as I can remember, which might only be a couple moments ago if you listen to the first part of this podcast. There is no doubt in my mind, if you are willing and able and desiring to commit an atrocity such as shooting little children, killing children you are not right mentally you do not have good mental health 1000% i am certain of that now when it comes to being tried for murder right taking the insanity plea i'm not saying that that works for every person who has ever killed somebody but if you are of rational sound thought and mind and it's not in a way of defending yourself who rationally could take someone else's life and does not have something wrong with them mentally? No rational person, no, no person with very healthy mental health, with very good mental health and a solid base, right, of the way that their mental health works and the way that the world works and the way that we as human beings need to interact with each other. No one would take a life where that's not affected. So what I'm saying, what, the reason why I'm saying that is because do I think that taking away all guns is the answer? No. Do I think that we need to do something about how people have access to these things? Yes, obviously. Do I think it's all a mental health crisis? No. Do I think it's very largely because of a mental health crisis in this country and around the world? Yes, 100%. The person that walked into that school that day if you've seen the videos, obviously it's chilling, it's disgusting, it's difficult to watch. But if you watch those videos and you just for a second let your mind travel into that person's body and try to see what they're seeing, right, as they walk through that school with an assault weapon to murder staff and students, that person is not mentally okay. Now, it's been even more politicized because of the, the gender, gender identity, gender politics. I am not going to get into that at all. I don't understand that stuff at all. I think everyone has a right to do what they want to do when it comes to that shit. I think it's a slippery slope when you talk about it one way or another. Again, I'm so in the middle on things. I can understand both points of view completely. I think specifically because this is a mental health podcast and I want to harbor a safe environment for everyone to express themselves and feel the way they need to feel within reason. I'm not, I, I, I don't 
choose to comment on that. But if you watch those videos, and I'm, you know, they're very fucked up. So at your own discretion, watch them. Um, and you can really put yourself in that person's shoes for a second. It's obvious there's something wrong upstairs. And now it's come out that that's, you know, in the news. And if you read any, look any article up, that it seems that this person had a track record of mental health issues. Dude, what what are we doing here? How the fuck are we letting this happen still? How are we not doing something? Now, I, I'm, I know I'm kind of contradicting myself because I just recently said, I don't know that it's that easy of a solution, but all the things that we do, all the things we accomplish as a country, and, you know, I know that it's now popular to talk shit about America, and we are not perfect, and a lot of things need to change, this being one of the big ones. We have done and accomplished some incredible things. How is this not, how has this not changed? How does this happen all the time? And again, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. It, to me, it coincides directly with like the homelessness crisis in this country. I don't know how to fix it. I know it needs to be fixed. I know it's uh, 100 million. There's a million things on a list that contribute to why it has gotten as bad as it's gotten. But how have we not gotten any closer? How has the problem only gotten worse? Did the pandemic and the isolation and just the last four to eight years of, you know, just, I don't know, our politics, world politics, world events, has that contributed to it? I'm sure. But I don't know. I, I know that I'm not getting to any sort of solution because I don't, I don't know the fucking answer. It's just, it blows my fucking mind every time you see something like this. Like, this person is out of their mind. 100 any mass thing, even like, all right, I love, and this is fucked up. This is another thing I wanted to do an episode on. I love like true crime documentaries and it seems like everyone in our age group, everyone in our country is obsessed with them. And it's kind of awful. It, it's kind of terrible because uh, for one of those to get made, it means that people were murdered. People were hurt. Families were ripped apart, destroyed, lives destroyed, hearts destroyed. But I can admit that I do have a fascination with them because I it's it's hard it's hard for me not to because I just think that like it's interesting to think uh how the fuck is this possible? Like how can someone have made this decision to do this? That's another subject. Um well I guess I don't know. If you watch anything about the Unabomber, Ted Krasinski, right? This is not a dumb person. These not not all the people that uh, commit these horrific acts are unintelligent. Actually, usually not the case. But he is not of normal sane mind and body. There's no there's no question. To me, literally every single domestic terrorist attack, you're not mentally okay if you're willing to do something like that. Again, it doesn't mean you're dumb. These people write these manifestos and have these incredible theories and 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 you know reasonings that they supposedly believe that motivate them to commit these atrocities but it's just like that was and i don't i don't remember the exact year i don't want to sound like an idiot um 
when was the Oklahoma City bombing? Shit. That's not what I meant. I thought I could do it seamlessly and it not be awkward and ridiculous. But April, we're coming up on the anniversary. Uh, April 19th, 1995. That was in 1995. All right, I was born in 1994. I'm about to be 29 years old. I'm not a mathematician, but that means that was about 30 years ago, right? And that certainly wasn't the first domestic terrorist attack. And it certainly hasn't been the last. So that means that this this trend of people not being mentally okay, whether it be disdain for the government or this issue or that issue, whatever their supposed motivation behind doing these absolutely fucking horrible things is, this is not something new. And the fact that we're not getting any closer to reforming mental health care, to recognizing earlier people who have serious, serious mental health issues. This isn't someone who was sad for a minute. This is... This is a very serious issue. This is someone that needs to be under almost constant therapy and watch and and nurturing and understanding and lo- you know I it just again I don't know the answer but to me it blows my mind that we have not gotten any closer to solving this issue. And I'm not one to like I, I'm all for capitalism personally. I'm all for a free market. I'm all for survival of the fittest in a lot of ways i am so i'm not against what i'm about to say but to juxtapose against the fact that this is an issue that hasn't been solved we have billionaires who are all privately sending rockets to space and back not the government not nasa just people with money who can pay other smart people to build them rocket ships and we still you know a dozen times a year have a mass shooting in this country. Probably more. I don't know the exact statistic. It blows my mind. I don't know the answer. I'm sorry if if you're listening to this and you're yelling at the thing like you're, you sound dumb. I'm sure I do. That's fine. I can embrace that. Um, I don't know the answer. And what scares me is whether it's a political bargaining chip or not. Certainly it, 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 it is used as that. Whether... Um, they want it to be or not, they certainly take advantage of that opportunity to use it as a political bargaining chip. Whether that is the designed goal or not, somehow the people we are electing to put in charge also can't figure it out. And not just this regime, not just this group of people, but every group of people that we've ever put in charge. That's scary. That's frightening to me. I am almost 29 years old I suffer from mental health issues for the last decade or so of my life I don't have an office job I'm not ever going into politics I am chasing my own individual dreams of being a musician making music making money off music till the day I die being able to provide for my family all those things I am not trying to act like I know anything but I am also not an idiot and um, I'm also a human who has the right to feel the way they feel and the way I feel is one very sad and two confused as a motherfucker to how this continues to happen Uh, and I don't want to be crass 
talking about this, you know, I don't know. It's like, it's like, imagine if that, I don't know. I have a niece who's in middle school, her mom, my sister, one of my best friends in the world, school nurse, one of my other best friends in the world, a school gym teacher. Just put your, just thinking about them and thinking how it's a legitimate risk that this could happen to them in a school, a school. Supposed to be a place for kids to laugh and learn and play. This is a legitimate risk for them going to work every day, for them going to school every day. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. Even some of the Band-Aid solutions, it's like, I don't... Is it fucking crazy to think of armed guards in front of an elementary school? On one side of the wall, you have teddy bears and big letter blocks. And on the other side, you have, you know, 10 cops with an assault rifle. Yeah, that's fucking wild. But like... Listen, a Band-Aid does not fix the problem, but sometimes you need a Band-Aid to stop the bleeding, you know? I don't know. I don't know the answers. Again, I'm, I'm not I'm not smart. There's a reason why I didn't finish college. <laughs> There's a reason why I didn't go into politics because that is not how my brain works, certainly. But I am a person who lives in this country, a person who has family. I mean, and then there's the pitfall of, okay, put armed guards in front of uh, schools, every school has a, a couple armed police officers at manning different entrances at different times of day, whatever, right? But mass shootings occur at malls. Mass shootings occur at restaurants and bars and clubs and concert venues. It's, you know, people can still drive a car through a crowd of people. I know this is a really fucked up dark episode, but again, it's a mental health podcast, right? That's the goal. That just goes to show that it's not all guns, right? The fact that, all right, put put guards in front of a school, have them there, you know, it'll certainly dissuade a lot of people from, from trying to do that. It'll make it a lot more difficult for them. But are you going to put an armed guard everywhere? No, and you can't put an armed guard, you know, in traffic. I don't know. What I'm saying is that I don't know the answer for the 150th time. I don't know the answer, but it seems like no one else does either. And that's what's frightening. And that's what people are tired of hearing. Um, I just hope, man, I just hope it's like every time this happens, you think something's got to give. Uh, and I, I also do feel like we have come a long way in this country. I have to give at least a little credit with the mental health conversation. Um, but not far enough. We've got a lot of work to do. And uh, I don't know, man. It's just sad. It's just I feel so sad for those families and everyone affected by it. And just I feel sad for humanity. Like that's the reason why I've also thought about this because, you know, to be fully transparent, my mind, again, goes in a million different directions when something like this happens, which I think is okay. I think it's actually probably good to look at every situation from every possible angle that you can comprehend. And one of my first thoughts, I don't know, maybe a day or two after it happened, is like, why, you know, 
drug overdoses kill way more people and young people than school shootings, right? That's another mental health that falls into the mental health category, in my opinion, as well. Drug overdoses, right? Suicide. Um, just other, I mean, I don't know, other horrible things that happen kill more people. Numbers, right? More people are lost than something like this where, I don't remember the exact number, under 10, I believe. Thank God. And I know that sounds fucking horrible to say, but I think the reason why we get centered around these, I'm not saying it's wrong that we care so much about a school shooting. Like, we, this needs to stop. This is fucking horrible. It's unbelievable. It's also embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Um, but what I'm saying is I think the reason why we obsess over these is because it's it's just like the absolute opposite of humanity it's the absolute essence of evil when someone dies of an overdose on drugs or when thousands 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 a year die from overdosing on drugs it is sad all of those people were human beings they had lives but ultimately you know, this is a different conversation of what is it their choice, you know, circumstances, nurture versus nature, um, going down the wrong path. Once you start, it seems almost impossible to quit. Yes, all of those in the pharmaceutical industry playing a hand. Yes, absolutely. But in general, the general consensus is that those people, one way or another, had a choice, right? That was their choice. Suicide is horrible. It is fucking horrible. It's terrible for the families. It's terrible for the person who chooses to take their own life. But it's a different thing entirely. That's some. That's a person that struggled, right? When it comes to... But even though the numbers are far greater for suicide, far greater for drug overdoses, far greater for a million things that we still also need to solve. But when it comes to something like this, it is so flabbergasting to us. It is so mind-blowing that someone could be pure evil and choose to take a child's life. And that is why this always takes precedent over those other issues that we also need to solve. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I agree. I agree that this should be one of the biggest issues when it comes to things that fall into this kind of category. But I did question, I I, I did question why this, you know, over these other things that realistically are even more damaging to human life and it's because at the end of the day we are all human beings we all have this moral compass some might be skewed one way or the other some might be more aligned with the north star uh for sure not everyone's a good person but generally speaking unless you are someone who has severe mental health issues and is someone who commits one of these acts generally speaking we all think it's fucking horrible. This is the worst possible thing you could do. You are the lowest scum of the earth to take a child's life, to abuse a child, to hurt a child, to inflict pain in a, on a child, emotional, physical, whatever it might be. That that's why we get so obsessed with this because at the end of the day, we are all human. We all have those feelings inside of us. We all can feel a difference in evil and watching something like this unfold and finding the details out about who did it and why they did it. And that's why we become obsessed. Oh my God, how could someone do this? Versus the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who take their own life. 
or get into a car accident every year or you get what I'm saying? Again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying I really think that that's the reason why because we all have a certain threshold in our head, in our soul that can really grasp onto something and know just how evil it is. And that's why we become obsessed with true crime and all these things. Yes, it's interesting to watch the process of the legal system, right? Or of of police work and how they catch these criminals. Of course, that's interesting. But it's also interesting when you are someone who would never do that to look at that and go, oh my God, that is pure evil. To take another human life is pure evil. And there's this certain feeling you get when you think about these things, when you see that these things have happened. And I think it's like a common human experience that we all feel and all just know inherently that this is the worst possible thing you could do. And that's why we become so obsessed. That's why even though the numbers might not pair up, and I'm not saying the numbers are small either. I'm not, uh, don't get this misconstrued at all. This I am fully aware of how awful this is, but I'm saying that just purely a numbers game of if, if you were to take the label off of it and it was just a list of numbers and you didn't know the cause and it was like, all right, this is how many people this kills a year. This is how many people this kills a year, you know, so on and so on. You would obviously look at the biggest number and say, all right, we got to do something about this. But this one captivates us more than anything. And it's because of the pure innocence of the people who are being taken from this world far too soon for absolutely no reason other than the person who chose to do this has severe mental health issues and needed help and didn't get the help they needed. And maybe the family didn't recognize it or maybe the family ignored it or maybe the family didn't want to admit it. Or maybe the family contributed to it. Whatever it is, nature, nurture, I don't know the answer. But I do know that every single one of these people who have done something as horrible as this all suffer from mental health issues. 100%. It's a multi-pronged issue. Absolutely. Forcing everyone to go into therapy or something like that? No, that's not going to fix it either. I know that. Maybe there's no solution that would stop it from happening altogether ever again. I don't know. But there's got to be a way we can reduce it. There's got to be. I wish I had the answers. I don't. And I hope that I didn't frustrate you too much by talking about this. I know that it's a sensitive subject. Again, I know that it's something that we all have opinions about one way or the other. Um, I just, I implore you to be open-minded to any solution that may come from it because something has to change and it might not change the exact way you think it should, but something's got to happen. And again, I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. I'm, I'm not trying to entertain any sort of conspiracy about it because to me, that's disrespectful to the lives that were lost. These children and adults that were killed and that are killed every year by someone who has not received the help they need. Um, I don't want to disrespect that. I think that it's natural to look again, it's another th it's another reason why. It's like it's natural to look at something so horrible and think there's got to be something else at play cuz how could this keep happening? And I again, that's another thing. I don't know the answers. I don't know if that's the case. Um but I do know that lives were lost and I do know that it does continue to happen and I do know something needs to change. So whether it's
some conspiracy you heard or not. I don't, you know, I, I wish I'd never even said that, right? You look at other past horrible atrocities where people who are also probably, I don't know, not not doing so great mentally and assign. I, th- I really think that that's where a lot of conspiracies come from. Listen, a lot of them not taking school shootings and things out of it. Please, I you know, I don't want to be misunderstood here. Whether it be with the pandemic or with war or with our motivations as a government to do certain things, right? My first inclination when I hear a conspiracy is, all right, you're crazy. That is, that's always been, I've always been like, well, let's side on, you know, let's err on the side of caution and think, okay, what they're telling us right now is at least partially the truth. And then details come out later and I have to be able to admit I'm wrong and say, okay, my perspective has changed. Not all conspiracies are for people who are crazy, QAnoners, you know, writing shit on the wall at their house. Um, but what I'm saying is I think that the reason why as humans, we are so quick to jump to this must be a conspiracy, whatever it is, this is separate from the Nashville incident. I'm just saying, generally speaking, I just thought of this is that we have such a hard time really wrapping our head around reality is as bleak as it is. So we assign some, you know, aliens did this, you know, I'm talking crazy shit, you know. I think that we are so quick to jump to that as human beings because it's so hard to accept that, no, reality is just fucked up sometimes. I know this wasn't the brightest episode, and I apologize for that. Um, I just felt like, and I'm not just talking about this because, like, it's a hot-button issue. I just feel like, you know, this is supposed to be about mental health. And to me, when these things occur, it is 99% of the time as a result of poor mental health and not getting the help someone needed, whatever it might be. I don't know this person's story. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't ever want to act like I know it all or I know anything at all. But something that I feel in my heart and my soul and my bones and my cells and my body is that anytime something like this happens, that person clearly has mental problems and needed help and didn't get help. And, um, you know, there's, it's a multi-pronged issue. There's many parts of things. There's many things that need to go correctly to, um, prevent this from happening again. But as I said, I just hope that if you're listening to this, you know, I hope this isn't the first episode because that would be weird to start because this is not usually how any of these episodes go. But if you have listened to other episodes, you know, whatever, if you know me, you understand that I am, think it's healthy and positive to look at things from a multitude of perspectives. So I implore you to embrace solutions as they come, not toss them aside completely because it doesn't align with what your typical views are. Again, a Band-Aid doesn't cure the disease, but it does stop the bleeding, and we do need to do something. So whether it seems like a quick fix and not a long-term solution or not, we got to do something. And it might not be something that you would have thought, oh, that's what we need to do, right? Taking guns away. Like, I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm not saying not doing that is the answer either. So whether you lean left or lean right, I implore you to understand that maybe the solution isn't exactly what you think it needs to be. And also, I implore people who are in charge, if I wish I, they could fucking hear me say this, 
dude, stop thinking it's one or the other. It's obviously both. I am, again, I'm not a genius. But I'm smart enough that I can be confident in saying it's fucking obvious that it's not one thing or the other with almost any issue. It's a little of everything. So please, can we stop with the fucking, you're trying to take this away. Or like people are, you know, people, the mental health, it's, it's fucking, it's a little of everything. God, what a shitty episode. <laughs> uh, sorry. It started off so bright and fun. Spring has sprung and then God almighty. I'm sorry. It's a weird way to segue back into it, but again, take all that out. Um, just pretend we never talked about that. No, it's important. It's reality, right? It's reality. Um, again, I, uh, I'm so excited. I really genuinely feel great on a personal level. This stuff is depressing and awful, but it deserves its time and space. And that's why I talked about it. But outside of that, um, I'm just, I genuinely feel so grateful, so blessed, so excited to finally be playing live again. I haven't done a live show in six years, seven years. And that was way different than what I will be doing now. I know I've just ex explained that, described that a hundred times on this podcast. Just, but if you listen, I have described that. And how many times I've said, well, I'm going to do a show. I'm going to do it. But it's going to be hard and different and weird. Um, but now I'm doing it. And another thing, I know I've gone over the typical hour, whatever, who cares? Um, another thing that this kind of taught me accepting this show on kind of short notice, kind of short notice was it forced me like part of the reason I was reluctant to do a show previous to this one was like, I'm making excuses for myself of like, I don't know exactly how I would do it. How am I going to you know, play the drum programming while doing the, it forced me to figure it out. And it made me realize like, Oh, it literally wasn't hard at all. The second I put effort towards it, I figured it out and it's not difficult. So sometimes I think there is some positivity and just throwing yourself into a situation where you feel uncomfortable and forcing yourself to figure it out again, like last week, that improvisational aspect of life. Like, all right, this isn't exactly what I do every day. Well, figure it the fuck out. And I did, and I'm really excited. Very excited. Again, um, if you're in town, if you're in LA, I'll put the ticket link in the bio. And also, if you're not in LA, I feel silly saying this, right? But, all right, no, I don't, I don't feel silly saying it. Um, if, you're, if you're not in LA and you can't make the show, feel free to still buy a ticket. It still goes towards, you know, my ticket sales. Um, it still goes towards supporting me. And, um, but also I don't want you to think that that's like greedy or like weird and sketchy that I'm like, buy a ticket to my show that you're not coming to. I'm just saying that if, if you feel so inclined to be super grateful, I know actually a lot of people have done this already and I'm very grateful to them. And at some point I will thank them properly. Um, it still all helps. It all contributes. And um, I would really appreciate it if you still bought one. But also, no pressure at all. I By no means do I feel any type of way uh, uh, if you don't do that and you can't go to the show. Because I know that sounds crazy to buy a ticket to something you knowingly can't go to. But it does help. So appreciate that. 
Uh, appreciate everyone that has bought a ticket, whether they're coming or not. I definitely appreciate everyone that's coming out to the show. It's going to be fucking sick. I promise. Um, you know, at first I was worried like, all right, well, obviously this is the first show in a long time. There's going to be some hiccups, going to be some rust, but I feel so confident. Um, and part of it is because of how I've been rehearsing and the discipline that I've shown myself over the last week or so. And I still have a week to go to continue rehearsing. Like, it can't go bad. You know, I know my ability. I know how fun being at a show can be if the music is good and the mood is good and the vibe is right. It can't go bad. Because I'm going to fucking kill it. And, um, that was a little arrogant, but it's better than me talking down to myself. So, uh, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm excited. Clearly I'm excited. Go Yankees. And, um, yeah, again, I'm sorry for the depressing topic, but it's reality. It's something that needs to be discussed and I don't have the answer sway, but, uh, something's got to change. And I think the, the, you know, we're not politicians. If you're watching this, I'm sorry to say, Maybe maybe that's your main goal in life. I don't know. Congratulations. Best of luck. But other than voting, other than uh, talking about these issues with people and being understanding of all sides, one of the only things we can do is continue to just be yourself and be a good person and put your best foot forward and be kind to other people and lend a hand when you can. And it's kind of like uh, that announcement that comes over the loudspeaker at the airport or train station, whatever. When you see luggage just sitting there, if you if it feels like something's wrong, something's probably wrong. So report it. If you feel like someone in your life needs help or if you feel like you need help, and I'm not saying necessarily in the, in the you know, the gravity of like that horrible situation, but just generally speaking, say something. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard to talk to someone, pull someone aside that you love and care about. It might feel awkward to be like, listen, man, you're not acting yourself. I love you. I care about you. I think something needs to change and I want to help you. I know that's difficult to do, but it goes a long way. And if no one is doing that for you, you have to take onus on yourself and be like, I'm not myself right now. I don't feel right. I need help. I need therapy. I need to at least tell my family, my parents, my friends, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whatever it might be, that is, that will go a long way. This whole like constant narrative of like ending the stigma around mental health, we've come a long way, but that is the reason why. It's not just some corny thing to say to be so every person on Instagram can be like anxiety awareness month and you know, you, you kind of it kind of turns you off to it a little genuinely being transparent and open about it is the first catalyst of having a mass change with it because you have to be willing to get help if you need it so ending the stigma of saying i need help is the first big step in a mass transition into a society of people who feel open and 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 feel vulnerable and comfortable enough to be like you know what i'm not doing great i need help so help those you can you know, be aware, open your eyes and open your heart and just spread love, man. I know I like, I'm not trying to be cheesy, but it fucking works. It's helpful. It's real. Love is real. Unfortunately, hate is real too. So the only way you can combat it is by truly feeling love in your heart and passing it on to people that you interact with on a daily basis, whether you know them or not, just spread love and, um, 
keep doing you. You got this. I got this. And if not, we got this. I switched it up a little there. Improvisation. Um, thank you again for listening. Please come out to the show if you can. If you can't, feel free to buy a ticket of support. No hard feelings if you do, you can't do that either. I know fucking it's hard out here to pay these bills, dude. Rent is due. Um, love you guys. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see a lot of you on April 11th. We'll have another episode in between then. Uh, but thank you again so much for listening. Take care of yourself. Spread love. Do you. Things will work out eventually. And uh, thanks. Love you. Take care of yourself this week. See you next time.